Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. For your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. When I was in grade school, I'm not sure if they did it when you were in grade school, whatever time or place you were in grade school, we would often sometimes get to grade our own papers. The teacher, for whatever reason, wasn't particularly, uh, didn't have a, a lot of time, so he or she would say, all right, be honest now, we're going to grade your paper. And if he or she knew, the teacher knew that maybe that wasn't a great idea, the next step was, all right, switch papers with the person next to you. You swap papers and grade each other's paper. That was to add checks to the whole process. And if the checks didn't work, balances came next. Change papers with the person next to you, who was probably your friend sitting near you, and then pass it back three rows and one over to the left, or something like that, to make sure that there was no chance of any, any sort of uh, dallying in what the honest grade would be. When the last thing happened, when you had to switch it with somebody across the room, those who were inclined to maybe cheat or stretch the truth a little bit were not happy because they knew that an honest grade was coming for them and their friends. Well, when it comes to grading, as it were, it works the same way with God and his holy moral law. Our friends are not the best graders of us when it comes to whether or not we're keeping God's law, and we ourselves certainly are not either when it comes to grading ourselves. Concerning God things, things of the church, things of religion, we have a tendency, don't we? I think if we're being honest, we have a tendency to minimize the bad that we do, right? And inflate the good. The bad that we do, it's not that bad, it's not that big, especially compared to others. And well, the little good things that I do, well, those are just wonderful things. And God certainly is or ought to be pleased with them. And I think it's an understandable thing when people think this way about keeping God's law, because, well, there's a lot at stake, isn't there? It's a judgment thing, an eternal thing, a heaven and hell thing, so I don't want to go through life afraid that I haven't done enough, that God is not pleased with me, so I 
talk myself, if I'm grading myself into thinking, I am doing enough, I'm good enough. And so it is that when we hear things like we heard in today's gospel lesson, as Jesus said, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. We say to ourselves about ourselves, well, you know, I think I'm not so bad at that. Do unto others as I'd have them do unto me, the golden rule. I'm relatively good at that. It's a straightforward instruction to follow. And, well, I've never robbed from anybody, committed grand larceny or any other kind of larceny, things like that. I haven't hit anybody or told them off, or at least not who didn't have it coming. Well, so many people think to themselves, yeah, of all the Bible tells me to do, the long list of things that we have to care about and live out, I'm doing okay with this one. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. But of course we know also, in our heart of hearts, that that's not the case. Now, maybe it's true to a certain extent. I'll concede that. I'll give you that. Maybe we are pretty, even I would say, good. Much as a Lutheran could say, I'm pretty good. But of course we know that the law demands a lot more than being good. The law demands great. The law, God's law, demands perfect, 100%. No extra credit opportunities to make up the difference. And we know that that's a mark that none of us can come anywhere close to. Even when we are good, think about it. Even when you are doing okay, what you know is one of the Lord's commandments. One of the things he says, this is the way I want you to live. Even when you're actually doing pretty good by an objective standard of doing it, well then I often find with myself at least, there's a qualification to it. I might be doing the outward thing, but I'm doing it with selfish motives. It's not purely altruism that is driving me in that given situation. When we do good, especially in a sense to our neighbor, those around us, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, and the ways that that is carried out, can we honestly say that in the back of our mind, there's not a little bit of, well, people will see this and my reputation will be affected one way or the other, probably for the better if you're doing something good. That is to say there's a social benefit. Or if not that, do we also not think to ourselves, at least a little bit, well, God sees this. And I'm going to get a little bit of credit from this, from the big guy upstairs. Now, maybe it's not that way all the time, but... For me, at least, it is that way sometimes. So, no, me for my part, and probably you for your part, we're not good self-graders. Not good when we have our own paper to grade in front of us. And we are not as honest and thorough as any very fair test would demand. It's not so with the golden rule. It's not so with the Beatitudes, the blessed are yous, and not so anywhere else. But fortunately for us, happy for us. That's not the grading scale that the Lord uses, or rather, those things are the grading scale, but not in the way that a lot of people just start to think that they are. Last week in the gospel, in the sermon that followed it, Jesus was talking about himself as being the solution. If you thirst, come to me, he said, and out of your heart will throw, flow rivers of living water. This week, the answer to the question is no different. Jesus is the answer. Most law passages, as we Lutherans like to call them in the Bible, tend to be, or seem to be, about us. 
The things that God tells us to do, it's like, well, you need to do this. And Luke 6 is no different. Read the gospel again. Glance over it. It's a long list of one after the other. Blessed are you and woe to you and so on and so forth. It's a long list of do's and don'ts. Ways that God wants you to live, that Jesus wants you to live, that seems to have a pretty big payoff if you get the test right. But to look at it purely this way is to miss the broader picture, the whole picture. And I would even say it's to miss the point of what Jesus is saying entirely. To understand these words of Jesus in Luke 6, we need to zoom out all the way to see the one who actually does do everything that he's telling us to do, the one who actually keeps and fits the bill for all of these. That is to say, we must zoom out so that we see Jesus himself as being the fulfillment of his own words. Uh, I'm going to drop a couple of terms for you here. Write them down if you want to look them up later or remember them. But a major, essential part of theology, our study of the Bible, our study of God, and what we believe as Christians is the active righteousness of Jesus and the passive righteousness of Jesus. Now, you know all about the passive righteousness, even if you've never called it that before. We talk about it all the time in church as well we should. It's the center of our faith. We have a cross on the wall for that reason. It's Jesus suffering, submitting to death, to do what must be done to be saved for us. That is to say, he was the suffering servant. He was a sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the world. That's his passive righteousness. But for that passive righteousness to actually do something about us and our lost state, he also had to have his active righteousness. That is to say, in order for his death on the cross to actually be a payment that goes through for us as it were, He had to be holy, righteous, perfect, and good. He had to keep God's law. He had to be actively righteous. In order for him to be our Savior on the cross, the Lamb without blemish, the spotless Son of God, he had to be morally perfect, keep the law completely. And so, back to today's gospel, in the words of it, who then has done this. Who has kept these laws perfectly? Why indeed it is Jesus. Who is the one who is reviled and spurned as evil and yet is completely having that done to him in an unjust manner? It is Jesus. Who is the one who is hungry and poor, who did not live for himself? Maybe me on a good day in part, but not completely. No, the one completely, Jesus. Who is the one who loved his enemies, who offered to them the other cheek, blessed the poor, and all the while prayed for his enemies while they were persecuting him? Indeed, it is Jesus Christ. He is the one who does it, who does it all, all the time, in all the situations. That's Jesus. Though we seek to live this way too, we do it only feebly at best, following meekly in the path that he has trod the way that he has cleared before us. And that, friends, is what the whole picture is. Both today and whenever Jesus speaks to us about how to live all throughout the Bible, whenever he instructs us, what we do is we follow those words our best we can. We do it, but as forgiven people. 
We seek to live in the manner and the path of the one who first himself kept the law and loved us and is keeping it. And though by ourselves, of course, we do time and again fail, we have the confidence of one who is following after the one who has passed the test already and says, my A plus grade, I give to you. Amen.